Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, I imagine that a number of people might find our readings for this week a bit offensive. That's because we put such a premium on inclusivity. We don't like it when, especially in the area of religion, a stress is placed on exclusivity. Listen now to what I mean. Our first reading is an account of Peter's sermon on Pentecost. He's told the people about Jesus. He's stirred up their great interest. And they say to him, What are we to do, brothers? Peter answered, You must reform and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and your sins will be forgiven. Baptism in Jesus Christ, that's what Peter tells them to do. He doesn't say, stay the way you are. He doesn't say, don't worry, everything's fine. He says, I want you to reform, and I want you to be baptized. Now, listen to the Gospel, which is probably even more striking. Here we have Jesus himself speaking. He says, Truly, I assure you, whoever does not enter the sheepfold through the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a marauder. The one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The keeper opens the gate for him. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own by name and leads them out. Jesus is the gate. He's the keeper. Those who enter through that gate are good. They're in the sheepfold. Those who enter some other way are thieves and marauders. Do we conclude from this that only those who explicitly enter into the spiritual life through Jesus Christ are saved? There's our problem. Our readings seem pretty exclusivistic. Well, it seems to me in this regard, there are two extremes to be avoided. The one extreme says, only those explicitly baptized, explicitly members of the Catholic Church can be saved. Well, that actually is not the teaching of the Church. That position is too extreme. We hold that people can be saved outside of explicit identification with the Church. But you know what? I want to say something for these readings, because I think there's another extreme which is far more prevalent today. And that one says, you know, it doesn't matter at all. Finally, it's a matter of indifference, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you believe this or that. As long as you are a good and decent and spiritual person, everything is fine. Well, that too is an extreme to be avoided. I think what these readings are stressing is that there is something unique about Christianity. There is something on display here that is uniquely pleasing to God, and that God does indeed want us to enter into this distinctive way of life. Now, what is it? 
What is it that's so distinctive about Christianity? Can I suggest to you that in between these first two readings and our second reading, we get a pretty good clue? Listen, it's from the first letter of St. Peter. He says, If you put up with suffering for doing what is right, this is acceptable in God's eyes. It was for this that you have been called, since Christ suffered for you in just this way and left you an example so you could follow in his footsteps. Now, now, we begin to sense what it means to be baptized into Christ Jesus. Repent, be baptized, says Peter. Well, now in this reading, we begin to sense what that means. Jesus says, enter by this narrow gate, enter through me into the sheepfold. Well, now we begin to sense what that means to be in the sheepfold with him. If you put up with suffering for doing what is right, one of the things, anyway, that's distinctive about Christianity is this idea of redemptive suffering. Redemptive suffering. This is what Jesus did, and it says here we've been called to imitate him in his redemptive suffering. What does it mean? Let me distinguish now a couple things. First of all, there's just suffering plain and simple. Someone is suffering because of a disease or an injury. Well, that suffering can be joined in prayer to Christ. It can be spiritualized. But that's not what I mean here by redemptive suffering. Or someone could be suffering by resisting evil through violence. Well, that's sometimes in extreme cases called for, quite right. But that's not what I'm talking about. That's not redemptive suffering. Listen again. If you put up with suffering for doing what is right, this is acceptable in God's eyes. Redemptive suffering. The word redemptive, from the Latin redemere, it means to buy back. If someone's been held for ransom, you redeem them, you buy them back. Someone's enslaved, you pay a price for them, you buy them back. The cross of Jesus is redemptive because it pays the price for us. So what's redemptive suffering? It is suffering that now buys back for God, the one who is provoking and prompting the suffering. Let me say it again. Redemptive suffering, properly so called, is that which buys back for God the one who is prompting or provoking the suffering. Well, how does it work? I am suffering, let's say, out of an injustice done to me, a form of oppression, some violence done to me, which is causing me to suffer. Now, one option is to fight back. The other is to flee, hide from the suffering, avoid it. What's being proposed here, redemptive suffering, is a middle ground, a middle path. It doesn't fight back directly, 
Because all that tends to do is to encourage the violence. It tends to confirm the violent person in his violence. Fire begetting fire. But it's not running. Because when you run from violence, you also tend to confirm it. Perpetuate it. Redemptive suffering is this. Clearly, consciously, publicly. I stand in the presence of injustice and I suffer because of it. Allowing the person provoking the suffering to see it. Allowing the person causing the suffering to see it. Now why? Just to rub it in? To make him feel bad about himself? No, just the contrary. First, I name the problem. I say publicly, this is wrong what you're doing. This is unjust what you're doing. And watch what it does to me. Watch what it's doing. Watch the effect it's having. What do I accomplish thereby? Well, when it works, it redeems the person who's provoking the suffering. When that person clearly, publicly sees what he's doing, when it's mirrored back to him in my own suffering, he is shamed into an awareness of what he's doing. And it awakens in him a desire for repentance. That is redemptive suffering. Again, listen. Putting up with suffering for doing what is right. I stand righteously in the path of the unrighteous. And the suffering that I endure, made public to him, now prompts a conversion. Now, does that all sound rather abstract, unrealistic, wishful thinking? The great Christians up and down the centuries have practiced just this form. Great saints up and down the centuries knew exactly how this worked. When they identified with Christ crucified, listen, the prime example of someone suffering for doing what is right, mirroring back to his oppressors the evil being done to him. When they stand in that great tradition, they have this redemptive power all around them. Probably the best example in our own tradition, the American tradition, is Martin Luther King. We can never say enough that Martin Luther King was a Christian. His father was a preacher and a minister. He himself trained as a preacher and a minister, trained at very high levels of theology. When he returned as a very young man to begin his life as a preacher, he understood this principle in his bones. And so in Montgomery, where blacks were forced to sit in the back of buses, he encourages people not to fight back aggressively, violently, but not to run, rather to engage in redemptive suffering. They would resist. They would show in their own bodies the effect that this unjust law was having. Blacks were excluded from 
sitting at lunch counters. Well, they would go, and they would endure the humiliation of arrest. They would endure the humiliation of taunts and insults. Blacks weren't allowed to protest publicly. Well, they would do it. They would come out, and they would march, enduring all kinds of slings and arrows, even to the point of death. And by showing forth in their bodies this suffering, they redeemed the country. Now, I don't mean perfectly. I know it's, we're far from perfect. But the effect that Martin Luther King had in this country, shaming oppressors into a keen knowledge of what they were doing and therefore a desire to change, it changed the whole social fabric of our country. This is what Peter is talking about here. Now listen again what he says. It was for this that you were called. This practice I've been describing, it's for this that you were called. This is what, at least in part, baptism into Christ means. You were baptized into Christ Jesus, baptized into his death. You were marked at baptism with the sign of his cross. That's the sign of redemptive suffering. When Jesus says, those who enter through me are are safe, He means those who are conformed to his way of being. So let us practice as members of this church. Let us practice this distinctively Christian way of being. When you face violence, oppression, don't fight it directly. But don't run from it. Rather, allow that person, allow the whole world to see the effects of it in your own suffering. And in that, you do something pleasing to God. In that, you are conformed unto Christ Jesus. God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.